the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is the word to stand on for life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The word to stand on for life is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel in San Antonio. A live call-in show here to help you answer your questions about the Bible and how to apply the word to your daily life. For more information on Calvary Chapel, visit our website, calvarysa.com. Get your Bible questions ready and call in now to 210-340-9585. It's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome to the show. Welcome to a brand new week. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas. And as most of you know, this is the Word to Stand On for Life, a program dedicated to taking your phone calls and answering Bible questions and life questions and pretty much anything that's on your heart and mind. All you have to do is call us, 210-340-9585. That's 340-9585. If you're outside the local San Antonio area, you can call toll-free at 877-630-KSLR. That's 630-5757. You can email questions to us by emailing questions at calvarysa.com. Or you can use our free Calvary Chapel mobile app and send your questions to us that way. If you're driving in your car, the safest way to call is to use the free KSLR mobile app. And you will be connected directly to our studio producer. One more time for our main number. It's 340-9585. Hey, thank you for your calls and questions at the men's retreat. Thank you for your prayers for our men's retreat. We had a really, really good time. Uh, I was just asked by the producer of the studio how, how I'm doing. I said, well, I'm tired. I have a hard time catching up on, on rest. But we really did have a great time, and I appreciate all of your prayers. We had an 80-year-old man get saved at the uh, at the retreat. I got the, I had the privilege of baptizing him. Uh, and you just think, 80 years old. He didn't look 80, but he was 80. And, um, you know, those are, those, God gets us away. He grabs our heart. And he does neat things. Hey, before I get to the questions, let me mention that tonight is our men's, women's, and youth Bible studies. Uh, Paula will be teaching the ladies in the book of Judges. Uh, Pastor Ken is a normal teacher, but he got called to jury duty and told he would be there late. So uh, Dr. Pastor Peter Paley uh, from Alta Medical is going to be teaching for him. And, of course, we've got our junior high and high school Bible studies going on as well. So you can make it a family night. Starts at 7 o'clock. Ladies, if you can't get here and want to watch, you can go to calvaryessay.com and watch it as we live stream it. So that's tonight at 7 o'clock. Let me get to some questions. I'm going to start with a... Um, my voice got... Uh, I've got. I'm going to start with a combative question. I think um, maybe a, a tad arrogant. Um, it's from Charles. I won't say his last name, but I do appreciate Charles that at least you gave me your last name. It says, dear Ron. Um, he says, how do you spell your last name? Is it Arbo? No, it's Arba. A R B A U G H. And here he says, my biblical question is, how do you explain John three thirteen? which says that no man has ascended to heaven yet. If you quote one or more verses to explain this, please state the book, the chapter, and the verses number very slowly and twice so that I can understand them and start to write them down for further study. Also, if it is true or false that the original Greek for 2 Corinthians 5.8 
contains the word rather, indicating obviously that presence with the Lord is a preference and not necessarily an event that automatically and immediately follows a Christian's death. I can understand, of course, that you may be reluctant to literally interpret or discuss these verses, since the explanation may contradict a doctrine in your church which gives you a regular paycheck. After answering your these difficult questions on the radio at 4 o'clock, if you want to know the name of the church I attend, please send me an email asking and I will send it. Thanks sincerely, Charles. Charles, the only thing I don't appreciate is the the, the condescension. Um, I, I don't have to guess which church you go to. You're almost certainly a Seventh-day Adventist. And your point here is that there is soul sleep and people don't go immediately into the presence of God. But all that does is indicate a complete and total lack of honest scholarship. Because all you have to do is read the passages in context, not take a verse out of context, say, see, there we can we can place all of our beliefs on that. But in the context, what's going on? Now, I want to deal with the first one first. John chapter 3, verse 13, is Jesus in, in his uh, famous message, his, his discussion with Nicodemus at night. Uh, I'm going to read um, the verse above. It says, I've spoken to you of earthly things and you do not believe. How then will you believe if I speak of heavenly things? Now this is right after um, Jesus uh, telling Nicodemus he must be born again. It has nothing to do with whether or not uh, there's soul sleep or we go immediately in the presence of the Lord. That's not the context. But what he says to Nicodemus is that no one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, the Son of Man. The explanation of it is easy. Jesus is simply saying that the way to heaven hasn't been made yet. It doesn't mean that no one has ever gone into heaven. We know that to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord, and I will discuss that in just a moment. But the idea here is that Jesus is simply saying no one has gone in heaven. The righteous dead went into the place called paradise or Abraham's bosom. You can read about that in Luke chapter 16. But Jesus is simply saying to Nicodemus, you can't get to heaven on your own. You can't keep the law because the way to heaven hasn't been made yet. And Jesus, of course, was saying this long before he actually went to heaven. And so he said, the Son of Man came from heaven, he's going to go to heaven, and then the way will be lifted up so that you can go. Now, when we go to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 8, it's very straightforward, Charles. We are confident, I say, and would prefer to be away from the body and at home with the Lord. Now, all we have to do is understand what Paul is communicating here in this passage of Scripture. Um talking about the Holy Spirit. Now it is God, this is verse 5, who has made us for this very purpose and has given us the Spirit as a deposit, guaranteeing what is to come. Therefore, we are always confident and know that as long as we're at home in the body, we're away from the Lord. We live by faith, not by sight. And then he summarizes with the verse you asked about, we are confident, I say, and would prefer, that's the rather that you speak to, and it does state preference. And all he's saying is, look, it would be better for me to be away from this body and at home with the Lord. But that's not what's going to happen. Now, you will remember that the Apostle Paul was stoned to death in Lystra, and he'd been to heaven. Second Corinthians chapter 12 gives us the description of that very time. He ascended to heaven. He saw things that man's not permitted to tell. Unbelievable, unspeakable things. And so Paul was talking about what he knew. I've been there. It'd be better to go there. But he says in 2 Corinthians 12, he also says the same thing to the church at Philippi, that while it's better to be, to, to, to die is gain is what he says, but as for me, there's service for the Lord, and he would be faithful in that service. So all he's saying is what we've said many, many times, Charles, on this program we would all be better if Jesus came for us if we were at home with him. But until, and this is Paul's point, until that moment, we're going to serve fruitfully. I mean, there's no contest here. If the Apostle Paul says, 
I'd rather be with Jesus and he'd been there, we can know that heaven is a pretty wonderful place. So Charles, there's a whole bunch about your Seventh-day Adventism that takes scriptures out of context, really, really leans on the legalist side. And all I'm going to ask you to do, instead of being snarky at me, I would ask you just to read, to study your Bible, to be a workman, to show yourself a workman rightly dividing the word. Study, study. Don't just repeat old, tired, even sometimes heretical doctrine. As for me, kidding a check and contradicting the doctrine of the church, uh, truth is the church, the doctrine here is my doctrine. I don't worry about a paycheck. I get paid very, very little, Charles. I just get to serve the Lord. So, I hope, Charles, that you will be a little more diligent in your study and a little kinder in your approach in the future. 340-9585 for your live calls and questions. Here is a question from Anonymous uh, from our mobile app. Uh, it says, uh, Pastor on a young pastor just committed suicide after struggling with depression. How can we deal with depression if a pastor cannot? Um, anonymous, a couple of things, and, and I'm, I'm, I'm grateful you asked the question. Um, pastors are no different than anybody else. We hurt, we cry, we struggle. Um, you just listen to the, the, the way that people approach uh, me as a pastor uh, with, with Charles' question. Um, but but we're, we're not superhuman beings. Um, we may know some stuff other people don't know. But remember, you only know what you actually do, what you put into practice. Uh, let me talk about this for a moment. There's been actually three young pastors, all of them pastors at mega churches, uh, who um, committed suicide in the last year, all of them in Southern California. Two of them were the lead pastors at churches with uh, between four and 6,000 people in them. Um, all three of them were 30 years old. Um, they were sort of in cool, hip churches. Uh, the third pastor, the one that, that you're probably referring to because it's just been in the news, uh, was an associate pastor at uh, Greg Laurie's church, Harvest uh, Fellowship in Riverside, California. Harvest has been connected with Calvary Chapel from the very beginning, so uh, I actually know Pastor Greg quite, quite well. I did not know this young man. His name was Jared Wilson, uh, and he struggled with depression. Um, he actually tried to minister to other people with depression. Now, there's a lot I can say about that that I don't think I need to say, uh, but but here's the, the, the thing. There's times when the devil wins these battles. And the only way we can combat him is in the power and in the person of Jesus himself. So here's how you deal with depression. You get up out of your bed. You find Jesus. You walk with him. You open your Bible. You talk to him. Every day you're in the presence of the Lord. You're going to be in a safe place. In his presence... Nehemiah says, is the fullness of joy. The psalmist writes, the joy of the Lord is my strength. So depression is real. Sometimes clinical depression is real. We also know that it's one of the greatest tools of the enemy. But the point to understand here, Anonymous, is that whether you're a pastor or somebody serving in another minister, you're a brand new Christian. We deal the same way, identically we deal the same way with depression. And the only way we can do that is by being with Jesus. So don't have an exalted view of pastors. Don't think that they don't struggle the same ways as you do. I understand the logical connection. And I understand how the devil will use this pastor's suicide for others who are struggling with discouragement or worse, depression. And that's exactly what he's to say. Well, you might as well give up. If a pastor can't handle it, you're not going to handle it. 
but he who is in us is greater than he who is in the world. So Anonymous, go talk to people. If you're suffering with depression, go talk to people at your church. Bring it out in the open. Bring it out of the darkness. And be honest and open. And then let the power of the Holy Spirit have his way in and through your lives. One in ten premature deaths now are suicide. I'm going to take this probably places that you don't need it to go, but I don't know if you've been listening to the news, the protests in our country over climate change, and we've got we've got a whole generation of kids, children. I'm talking, I heard from kids nine years old and up who believe there's only a few years left on this earth. They've been brainwashed so desperately that they have nothing to live for. And so now they're angry, and I don't blame them for being angry. I blame their parents, and I blame their educators. But you watch what's going to happen. The enemy is going to use this. His job is to kill, to steal, to destroy. And he's going to use this and bring these young people to a place of hopelessness. And they're going to die. This is a powerful tool of the enemy. And unless you're willing to fight then you're in danger of being overcome as well. Remember that you cannot kill yourself. You're not your own. You're bought with a price. And if you are bought with a price, then what you need to do is understand who's in charge. Only Jesus gets to determine life and death. So I hope that helps a little bit. Again, the fact that pastors struggle with sin and struggle with temptation and struggle with depression and sometimes lose that struggle doesn't mean anything as it means for you. I hope that helps. Here is a question from, uh, it's anonymous also, uh, Revelation chapter 7, verse 14, Pastor Ron, it says, these are the ones coming out of the tribulation. Who are the ones coming out? Are they the dead in Christ and raptured Christians? Are they the 144,000 post-tribulation? Are they Jewish converts? Um, in Revelation chapter 7, verse 14, the um, let me read it to you. Uh, I'm, I'm going to go back to verse 13. Uh, it says, Then one of the elders asked me, that's John, these in white robes, who are they and where do they come from? I answered, Sir, you know. And he said, these are they who have come out of the great tribulation and they washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Um, these are the tribulation martyrs. You can also see them under the altar after Revelation chapter 4 and chapter 5. And they're the ones who are crying out, Oh Lord, how long until you avenge our blood? And that their blood, of course, is going to be avenged at the end of the Great Tribulation. But these are the tribulation martyrs of all stripes, Jew, Gentile. Uh, the 144,000, as I'm sure you know, are going to be um, evangelistly in the greatest revival in the history of the world during the Great Tribulation. And uh, most people in the Great Tribulation who give their lives to Jesus Christ are going to die because of it. So these are the martyrs and they're calling out for justice. God tells them he will avenge their blood. It's just not time. The next verse says they are before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple. Uh, and he who sits on the throne will spread his tent over them. The 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 Therefore, in verse 15 as one of the most important, therefore, is in all of our Bibles. Uh, this group of tribulation martyrs, uh, Anonymous, had to pay a steep price with their lives in order to be standing here in this place of honor um, and before the throne of God. But at the point when they are avenged, when they come to life again, uh, in a physical sense, and they will, um, they're going to be thrilled because never again, the next verse says, will they hunger? Never again will they thirst? The sun will not beat upon them, nor any scorching heat. Now, this is Jesus spreading his tent over them. It's such a 
beautiful picture. These tribulation survivors suffered immensely until their death. These converts, they went hungry. They couldn't buy or sell food without the mark of the beast. During the judgment, you remember the the, the judgments of the sun scorching those who lived on the earth and the water being poisoned. Uh, They'd be forced to endure uh, great thirst. Jesus says, all of that is gone. In heaven, there'll be no more suffering. None at all. Because Jesus has always been the answer. Such a beautiful, beautiful picture. So that's who they are. They are the tribulation martyrs. 340-9585 for your live calls and question. Oh, I'm sorry. That question was a men's retreat question. We had some really good questions from the men's retreat that we didn't have time to get to. So we wanted to bring them back here for the program. Uh, here is a question from from Men's Retreat as well. Pastor Ron, how is there free will if God made Jonah go to Nineveh? That's a great question. But you remember God didn't make Jonah go to Nineveh. Nineveh was his destination. That's what God's will was. Uh, but God had to make Jonah so uncomfortable that he chose finally to go to Nineveh. Now, there's a huge difference between making him and helping him. And this, I hope, will comfort you a lot. Uh, When, in fact, we move outside of God's will, when we do what we want to do instead of doing what God wants us to do, we serve a God who loves us so much that he's going to make your life uncomfortable. Jonah went to Tarshish, exactly the opposite direction. So God brought a storm. Remember, Jonah was a prophet. Too much is given, much is required. Jonah found himself in a storm. He ended up walking off the plank of a ship because he knew he was responsible for all of those other men's lives. And when he went into the ship, God spared his life. God didn't let him die. God spared his life. He was swallowed by the great fish. And it was in the belly of the great fish. Now, that great fish. Now, imagine how horrible that was. Imagine what it smelled like. Um, imagine what it looked like. There was seaweed in there tangled around him. The acid from the whale's stomach would have bleached his skin dry. It would have burned off all of his clothing. That's why later he would be barfed up on on the beach in Nineveh, um, um, bald, naked, and with his ghastly color. No wonder people listened to him. But you see, it was in the belly of that fish that Jonah had to wrestle with God. And finally, he made the decision, and that's why he remained alive. So God spared his life. Now, when he got to Nineveh, he wasn't happy. He knew God was going to send him with this word of pending, impending judgment, but he also knew that because he knew God's character, that it was God's desire to save him. Jonah didn't want the people of Nineveh saved. The Assyrians were the cruelest people in the world at that time, and they they made Israel and, and, and God's people suffer in unspeakable ways. But the truth of the matter is, is Jonah did what he was told to do. He complained and grumbled through it all. But it was God who constructed the circumstances of his life to where he finally made the right choice and chose to go to Nineveh. Now this is why that matters for us. I want to serve a God who wants the best for me. And if I rebel against God, if I do something that he tells me not to do, I want him to make it difficult for me. Now, God could just leave us alone. But what he does is he makes us remember who he is. And sometimes it takes those kind of trials to get us to that place where we cry out, Nevertheless, thy will, O God, and not mine be done. So, God didn't make him go. God made circumstances such that he chose to go finally before it was too late. And he didn't miss out. Good question. Thank you very, very much for that. We've got just a couple of minutes left in this half of the program. 340-9585 for your live calls and questions. Here is a question from the Men's Retreat as well. 
Uh, Pastor, I've heard the words Godhead, God, Lord, Jesus, all in one, and the principle that God lives in each of us. I'm confused. Are these all God just in different ways that he's manifested? Uh, You're not confused. Uh, These are uh, all the ways he's manifested. Uh, uh, The Godhead refers to the, the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. One God in three persons. God, in context, usually refers to the Father, the first person of the Trinity, Lord, uh, is is used in the Old Testament sense, the, the, the Lord of hosts, uh, Yahweh, Jehovah. You know that because it's all capitals, even though the letters are small. And that's usually, again, a reference to the Father. Jesus, of course, is the Son of God, who's God the Son. And they're in complete unity, so they're all in one. So God lives in us, in the person of the Holy Spirit, but he is fully God. So uh, I hope that's not confusing. The Trinity sometimes is, but God is one God, ever-present in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and he lives in us, in the person of the Holy Spirit. It's interesting. The Father sent the Son to reveal the character of the Father. Jesus sent the Spirit to testify about Him. That's what the Holy Spirit's job is in these last days until He returns, to convince us of sin and righteousness and judgment. Hey, we've got 30 minutes left in the Monday program. 340-9585 for your live calls and questions. 340-9585. We'll be back in two minutes. Back to the word to stand on for life. We're taking your call. And 30 minutes left. The phones have been quiet. Usually on a Monday we get lots of calls. 340-9585. Let me get right back to some questions while we wait your phone calls. Here is a question again from the Men's Retreat. Uh, we had a Q&A at the Men's Retreat before we, uh, I, I get to this question. Uh, and we had so many questions. We we ran out of time. We did. We had some some questions uh, in the um, uh, uh, live program as well from the men. Uh, but some of these are so good, we want to get them. Said so, Pastor Ron, when you share the truth with someone who believes in a false doctrine and doesn't want to let go of it, regardless of what you tell them, how do you know when to stop and dust off your sandals? Uh, the answer to that question is very simple. When they stop listening, you stop talking. You've told them the truth. They don't want to let go of it. Uh, false doctrine is based on lies. Uh, false doctrine is is arrived at by twisting the scriptures out of context. Um, but uh, beyond saying, look, um, you don't want to know what's true, so I'm not going to talk to you about it anymore. So that's what you do. That's what you do. It's a Sort of a helpless feeling, but that's exactly what you do. Cindy, on line one from San Antonio. Cindy, thanks for calling. You're on the air. Hi, Pastor Ron. Um, Hi. I have two things. John one eighteen, oh, Gospel of John, and the Gospel of John one twenty eight. One eighteen kind of talks about what, what you were talking about just a, a minute or two ago about Christ being God, and it says, No one has ever seen God but God, the one and only, who is at the Father's side, has made him known. I read that today, and I, I just wanted to fall out of my chair. It was, it was such a beautiful scripture. And then also, on 128, it says, This all happened, this is talking about uh, John, uh, John the Baptist. This all happened at Bethany on the other side of the Jordan where John was baptizing. And I'm wondering what difference does it make, you know, which side of the Jordan he was on. Is, is there something that is special about that? And um, I'll get off and listen on the radio. Bye. Thank you. Thanks, Cindy. Um, there, there's really no difference. I think it's just giving geograph- geographical direction. Um uh, just just giving us a, a direction about where it happened. I think they're just reporting 
the location, Cindy. So uh, you remember the east side of the Jordan. I call it the godless side of the Jordan. Uh, that's where the two and a half tribes wanted to stop. Instead of going into the, the promised land and, and enjoying the fullness of God's blessing, uh, they saw the grazing land. They were herders, and they thought, well, this is perfect for us. We're happy to stay here. Uh, and basically, they settled less, for less than God's best for them. It's, a, it's a, an important picture for Christians because too many of us as believers were willing to settle for way less than God's best. And uh, that's 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 the uh, for for a Jew that would have had a uh, an impact um, because it would have meant that the wrong side of the Jordan where God wasn't they were on their own. Um, but the only reason it's reported that way is just to give sort of geographical direction about where these things were happening. Happening. It's almost like saying on the wrong side of the tracks is is uh, what's going on. So Cindy, it's pretty easy one. Thank you very very much. Here's another question from the men's retreat. I think the final one that we have it says, Pastor Ron, there is a sin that my flesh is so weak to stop. I think I'm done with it, that I've dealt with it once and for all. Then it rises again, and I give up with little fight, even to the point of saying, I'm sorry to the Lord as I go into it. Am I going to hell for this? Um, no, you're not going to hell for this. The reason we go to hell is by rejecting Jesus Christ. Now, this is really an important thing for you to understand. Your insecurity is intentional. It's purposeful by God. God doesn't want anybody to feel secure in their sin. Jesus said, if you abide in him, I will, he, he will abide in us. So when we're abiding in him, when we're with Jesus, then we... We won't give in because it's his strength fighting for us. Now, when we give in again and again and again, what we're doing is we're giving the enemy the opportunity to pound us. I mean, he's so strong, much stronger than we are in our flesh. That's why we need to be in the spirit, walking with Jesus. That way Jesus can handle him. But we can't. And so this is what the enemy is doing. Now, it's not that your flesh is so weak it's that this is what your flesh wants to do. Your flesh is ravenous. And so as this temptation comes, the way you have to fight it is in the power of God's Spirit. Our weapons are not carnal. Our weapons are spiritual weapons. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13 is one that you want to tattoo on your brain. Uh, no temptation has seized you except that which is common to man. That means you're not alone. Other people are, are dealing with the same sin, the same temptation. But then the next words are critical. It says, and God is faithful. It doesn't say that you're faithful. You've already demonstrated that you're not. God is faithful. And then here's the promise. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. And when you are tempted, he'll always provide a way out so that you can stand up under it. In other words, you can have victory over it. Do you really believe that God can deliver you from this temptation? We have to understand that in our flesh... We're always going to lose. You can try with all of the willpower that you can muster, and you're still going to fail. You're still going to blow it. And the reason is because your flesh has no strength. So here's what you got to do. When the temptation comes, take those thoughts captive, make them obedient to Christ. Now, because this is a ministry question, remember one of uh, Rick's teachings at the, at the retreat, was on Joseph running away from Potiphar's wife. She was trying to seduce him. Um, she was gorgeous. He was handsome. Um, she was married to a eunuch. Potiphar would have for certainly been a eunuch. And she would have been frustrated. And she, she came to Joseph, lie with me in bed, she said. And Joseph said, how could I do this sin and uh, this great wickedness and sin against God? And he ran away. And too often, people think that he ran away because he's strong, but he didn't. He ran away because he was weak. And he was willing to admit it. So here's what you need to do. Run away when the temptation comes. Whatever the sin is, run away. And anytime you say, 
I'm sorry, Jesus, but I'm going to sin. You understand this, and I want to make this as direct as I possibly can. It's as though Jesus is in the room with you personally, physically, and you're saying, okay, Jesus, thank you for everything you've done. Thank you for offering me salvation. Thank you for forgiving my sins. But now you have to leave this room because I'm going to do something filthy. And you can't be here. You're chasing Jesus away when you run into sin. Are you going to hell? Not if you're a born-again believer. But if you keep giving in to this temptation, I can tell you exactly what's going to happen. What's going to happen is that you're going to find yourself always convinced that you're going to end up in hell. You've got to decide to hate your sin so much. So much. That you just would rather be with Jesus. Hope that helps. 340-9585. Here is a question from our friend Carlos from the Northeast Side. Hi, Pastor Ron. This is Carlos from the Northeast Side again. Just wanted to ask you this question. I'm not sure if it's Bible-related, but how do we know when God wants us in a certain place? For example, like in a work environment, or in other words, how do we know if God is calling us to move from move on from a workplace or any type of situation? Thanks for always responding via radio program, and God bless. Uh, Carlos, good to hear from you again. It's been a while. Um... The Bible doesn't deal with workplaces specifically. Um, Carlos, the only way you're going to know is to let the Lord speak to your heart through His Word. Bathe yourself in the Word of God. Bathe these questions in prayer. Let the Lord know that you don't want to do anything that's not in His perfect will. And He'll give you direction about what to do. You know, we run into this a lot. People don't like their job and they think, well, God must be calling me out of this. No, a lot of times God is testing you in those job places that are, are, are unpleasant. Other times he has you there because he knows you'll be faithful and work can be a dark place and that's where he needs light. But the only way you're going to know that for sure is to really seek God in prayer. And then in his word, as you're in his word, he will confirm it. Now, Carlos, a couple of things. If you're not a man who prays over these things, and I don't mean just flare prayers. God, what should I do? Show me a sign. That's not a prayer. If you're not a man who's in his word, then God's not going to be able to answer your questions. He wants to answer your questions. He wants you to be in the middle of his perfect will. And all you have to do is find out, invest the time in prayer, invest the time in His Word, and there will come a time when you're absolutely sure whether or not He wants you to stay or go. And then you'll have no doubt. You will know, and your heart will be clear, your direction will be set. That's really important. Now here's something else that's important, two things. First, don't leave any job until you're sure it's God. You know, as men with families, we're responsible to provide for our families. We don't want to leave a job just hoping it's God's will. Stay where you are until you know for sure. Our families deserve that. And when you know for sure, then you can sit down with your wife and you can say, this is what the Lord is leading me to do. Get her agreement on it through prayer. And then you know you're walking together. The second thing that's important here, Carlos, is that you need to do the best you can where you are. If you're just, you know, kind of skipping by, if you're not working with diligence, if you're not working as unto the Lord, um, then he's not going to answer you. So grow where you're planted. Do the best you can. Whether you like it or don't like it, do it because of Jesus. And you know, Carlos, I say just be with Jesus all the time. Uh, if you're with Jesus, he'll make even the worst of work situations better. Bearable, even fruitful. 
So remember, do all things as unto the Lord, whether you like him or not. And if you're doing those two things, you want to be in the Lord's will, and you're doing the best you can, then he'll give you the direction that you need. And it's true that God moves us from time to time. I had a pastor come to me at the men's retreat with tears in his eyes because he's afraid. He doesn't want to leave us, and he's afraid that that the Lord is beginning him on a path to send him away. And as much as we love him and he loves us, the best place for him is right in the middle of God's will. And I told him, basically what I'm telling you, is that when the time comes to make the choice to leave, God will let you know what his will is. And he'll give you the grace that will meet you at that particular time. It'll be sad, but at the same time, it'll be exciting, almost adventurous. So, Carlos, I hope that answers your question. Thank you for being patient and answering it. Here is a question from Christian. I'm new in a town. What should I look for in a church? Um, Christian, you asked me this question on a time we had more new people here yesterday than I can imagine. We had people standing outside during second service. That's how crowded we are. And a lot of these people getting transferred to the military and, and you know, they're looking for a church to get plugged into. And and when they come to me and they ask me, I, I just say, you know, just look around. Look at the life in here. That's what you're looking for. The people are the best part of a church. So get involved and you'll know that this is the church that God has for you. Generally, however, if you knew you want a church, it's going to be solid in teaching the Bible not preaching it or not telling funny stories or doing topical sermons, but a, a church that's going to be faithful to teach the whole counsel of God. Look for a church where you can use your gifts. We don't just go to a church to sit and to listen. We go to church to be an active part of the body. So talk to a pastor and ask him, when uh, these are my gifts. Is there going to be an opportunity for me to be able to use those gifts here? Uh, and if there is, then serve that church. And God will get you plugged in, and you'll know you're where you're supposed to be. So those are the key things. Make sure the doctrine is solid. Make sure that the Bible is being taught. Make sure that you have an opportunity to utilize the gifts of the Spirit that God has given you. And then just be available for that church. And there will be no question about whether or not that's a church for you. Christian, I hope that helps. You know, people, we get questions quite often on this about size of church. That's a matter of preference. Uh, If you're comfortable in a huge church, there's huge churches. If you're comfortable in a small church because you like to be uh, in the middle of things, and you you, you want to be um, uh, you want to have personal relationships with people, then a big church is probably not for you. Go to a smaller church and and really plug in. But please, please, please plug in, and uh, let the Lord really bless you and use you to be a blessing to others. That is a really good question. Luke asked this question. He says. I'm a new Christian who's on fire for Jesus. But it seems so many Christians are lukewarm. What can I do to help others? Um, Luke, the first thing, and I I don't mean this in a harsh way, but come down off of your high horse just a little bit. You know, new Christians are full of zeal, and zeal is a good thing. But um, to look at other people and consider that they're not as on fire as you is really thinking a little more highly of yourself than you ought. You know, Luke, uh, it's been several years now, but I had somebody who was in your situation who came to me and said, Pastor Ron, I love this church when I came here, but after being here for a while, I'm a little disappointed. And I said, disappointed? What what did we do? And his response was, he said, you know, I'm on fire for the Lord. I can't find any other Christians who are lukewarm. I want to go to bars and preach, and I want to go to strip clubs and preach, and I want to, and just one thing after another. And I told him, just walk with me for a minute. It was a, a church day, and all I did was I pointed people out. And I said, see that guy over there? He's lost everything for his faith in the Lord, and he keeps serving God faithfully and fruitfully. See that woman over there? She lost a whole bunch to serve Jesus, and yet she's still here faithful every day. That's zeal. You're just making noise. 
Nobody wants to go to a bar and preach the gospel of Jesus. And they said, but you know what? We don't have to go where they are. You make yourself available. God will bring them to you. And I think it's really important that we understand. So, Luke, I appreciate your zeal. I really do. But never judge somebody else. Look in instead of out. And if you're looking for somebody to partner with you, um, if you're that zealous, you go do what you feel like the Lord is leading you to do. But don't expect others to share your calling. Now, this isn't an answer to your question, Luke, but, but I think just in general, we in the body of Christ, especially here in the United States, we always want somebody to come with us on whatever our pet ministry might be. If you have a leading of the Lord, you go for it. But you shouldn't need others to go with you. You go for it. But do it because that's what Jesus is leading you to do. If you need somebody else to go, then you're not as zealous as you think you are. David Livingston, who's one of my favorite missionary stories, is a great read, by the way, if you can pick up a biography of, of uh, David Livingston, do it by all means. Uh, his heart, of course, was for Africa. And uh, on one of his trips back to uh, England, he was in, in uh, um, London at the time, um, he was just there to raise some money and getting ready to go back. And he gave this uh, impassioned speech at a church and and some people came up to him afterwards and said, uh, Dr. Livingston, if, if you go back and you tell us if they built some roads and if there's a way that we can get there, we want to come and we want to help. And he looked at him and he said, to the, and this happened to the young man, he said, young man, if you need roads to go to Africa, I don't need you. We have to have a heart to do what God wants us to do we got to do it no matter what. When Paul and I were called to come to Texas, I didn't look for people to come with me. It wasn't like there's safety in numbers. It was me, Paula, my dog, and Jesus. And, you know, he took care of us. He tested us. He put us in really, really crazy difficult situations. But all of that to prepare us for what lay ahead. 340-9585 if you have any questions. Here's a question from Jesse. Uh, inside four minutes. Boy, time isn't fast as half. Uh, Jesse says, I read a blog where they said pets are in heaven. Do you agree with that? Um, Jesse, no, I don't agree with that. Um, you know, only man is created in God's image. Only man gets the right to choose um, you know, the, the man or the woman that says, well, I need my pet to be happy in heaven doesn't understand anything about heaven. Pets are a gift from God given to us that we might enjoy them while they're here. But they have no place in eternity. They have no soul. They live, they bless us, and then they die. Now, I'm saying this to you, Jesse, as a dog guy. I, Paul and I, we had the best dog in the world. I had a dream, in fact, last night about him that was so real. And, um, I mean, he's been gone now for 20 years. Um, and, you know, what I have to understand is that God brought that dog into our lives to bless us. And, oh, did he ever. We had him for 15 years. And um, it was a great gift, but he's not going to be in heaven. I don't need him to be in heaven because... Jesus is going to be in heaven. I mean, I think it's 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 Jesse sort of a, a sign of immaturity. He says, oh, heaven, I'll have everything I need to be happy, and I need my cat or I need my dog to be happy. That's a man or a woman who doesn't really understand Jesus. In his presence is the fullness of joy. If you need your dog in heaven, there's something wrong with you or with heaven. So, Sorry to be the bearer of bad news, but pets will not be in heaven. But thank God that he allowed them to be a part of your life.
Here's an anonymous question. This will be the last one I get today. We've got two minutes. It says, I visited your church, and at the end of the study, you asked people to come forward to deal with any issues of sin they were having. Why do you do that? Because it is embarrassing and uncomfortable. Uh, anonymous, uh, if it's embarrassing, you've got an issue with pride. We're all sinners. We all fall short of the glory of God, and we all fall short continually. Um, Jesus was really big. The Apostle Paul was really big on public profession. Jesus said, if you confess me before men, I will confess you before my Father in heaven. And, and you know, we need to humble ourselves. And the man or the woman who's uncomfortable or too proud to get up and say, you know what, I messed up. And I'm sorry, Jesus, I hate my sin. Please forgive me. If you're too self-conscious to do that, then why would Jesus stand up for you? He wants to. He gives you the opportunity. But I think, Anonymous, we need to be a little bit braver, have a little bit more courage, be less consumed with what other people might think or see, and instead be concerned only about what Jesus knows. It is a tragedy. I give invitations every Sunday, and people will sit and squirm in their chair, and they know and I know that God is dealing with them and they're too proud to publicly acknowledge their sin. Get over yourself and feel the freedom that Jesus has for you. Hey, thanks for tuning in today. Three, uh, this has been the word. I was almost given the phone number. This has been the word to stand up for life. We'll be back tomorrow at AM 630 The Word. We'll see you then. God bless. Thanks for spending this time with Calvary Chapel's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The Word to Stand On for Life is on every weekday afternoon at 4, and Pastor Ron invites you to find out more about Calvary Chapel at calvarysa.com. The Word to Stand On for Life was sponsored by Calvary Chapel of San Antonio. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.